<laughs> Y'all gonna make this hard for me. <laughs> well, good morning. On the back of incredible messages the past few weeks that have redirected our gaze towards the things that marked this body when it started at its origin, we have an empowering message that will revoke, that will, that will move you by its end, by its end, yeah. The church was formed off the back of messages on the Holy Ghost. Statements such as, if you do not go with us, we will not go. The Lord marked the people here for a certain work that he has in mind to be fulfilled in this city. But it isn't only just for this city, it's for our state, country, and the world, ultimately leading back to Israel, his chosen ones. We're going to jump headfirst into this thing this morning. Are you ready? Our message is titled, Supernaturally Marked. Somebody throw that. Oh, this mic's really hot. If I get my preaching voice on, y'all are going to have to walk out the room and hear from outside. <laughs> Supernaturally marked. Isn't that picture just so awesome? I just love that picture. Listen, how many of you know that there's nothing natural about our God? We talked about it today during worship. There's nothing natural about him. He is not like us. He shares some characteristics with us because we were made in his image, but he is different than us. Nothing he has done, is doing, or will do is natural. He in and of himself is supernatural. Listen, have you, have you actually thought about that? I know we talk about it, but the very breath in your lungs is supernatural. Science and everyone else, they'll tell you, oh, you know, when your body works this way and it's just, you know, the apes blessed us with it and we just all got to grow into this thing and, and now we can breathe. Something like that. But the breath in your lungs is supernatural. You were made out of dust. Your human body was formed and created out of dust. How supernatural is our God? We so easily relate supernatural to things like healings and casting out demons and seeing the dead raised from their tombs. And that is supernatural. Don't get me wrong. But the breath in your lungs is also supernatural. It's supernatural that you got out of bed this morning. Some of you, it's actually supernatural. Some of you, for all of us it is, but some of you are really feeling that supernatural power this morning. I can see it. And praise the Lord that he works like that because you made it. And you're exactly where you're supposed to be. Listen, he is supernaturally at work in every way among us. And he's calling us into deeper revelation and action by way of his supernatural leading. Can I get an amen? Amen. Listen, saints, we're going to take you on a journey this morning. We will start in Psalm 132. And by the end of this message, we're going to end in Psalm 132. And when we get there, you will look upon it with a new lens. One that helps you to realize that you can be empowered. You can be encouraged and you can receive today a drive that you need to keep moving forward in this thing we called life. Are you ready again? Listen, turn with us to Psalm 132 as we open up. Supernaturally marked. Oh, he will. And I promise you, he will feed you. Listen, Psalm 132, picking up in verse 13. For the Lord has chosen Zion. He has desired it for his dwelling place. This is my resting place forever. Here I will dwell, for I have desired it. I will abundantly bless her provisions. I will satisfy her poor with bread. Her priests I will clothe with salvation and her saints will shout for joy. There I will make a horn to sprout for David. I have prepared a lamp for my anointed. His enemies I will clothe with shame, but on him his crown will shine. Listen, although we read to you only the ending of this psalm, the psalm in its entirety is written in such a way that intercedes on behalf of the land and the people of Israel. The writer of this psalm is reminding his God, Lord, don't forget the promises for your people. 
for this is the place you chose and this is the place you have always desired. And if you read the beginning of the psalm, you'll see that the Lord echoes exactly what was prayed for. The writer prays, Lord, you have dwelled in this place. You desire it. And the Lord answers, here I will dwell. I have desired it. The Lord listens when we pray. Listen, the heart of today's message for you guys is that Psalm 132 is his promise. Therefore, it is our goal. It is his promise, therefore it is our goal to see Zion filled with the glory of God. Listen, this message today was birthed out of a place of a great desire and a longing to see Israel redeemed. And everyone within it come into the supernatural relationship with Yeshua that is prophesied about through all of scripture. In the wedding that we talked about last week, did that bless anybody? In the wedding we talked about last week that takes place at the end of the age where the bride and groom come together, Israel is that bride. Israel always has been that bride and always will be that bride. What a glorious time that will be, a reconciliation of an entire nation. But the question that we were posed with is what part do we play in ensuring that this bride shows up at her own wedding? Think about that for a second. What part can we play to make sure that the bride of Christ shows up at her own wedding? We're going to talk about that. And Psalm 132 is where we're starting, and again, it's where we're going to end. We're going to walk you through some of Torah and help tell a story of how a supernatural God is eager and burning for an everlasting covenant to be fulfilled with his people Israel so that he can mark them anew again much like you are being marked right now. You almost can't help but start with Israel's origin story when talking about them. So we're going to start in Genesis 12. Turn with us to Genesis 12 and find verse 1 when you get there. And say supernaturally marked. This is a message we're going to need some interaction from you. Y'all look tired. All right, we there? All right. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So here we have the very beginning of God's chosen people, Israel. And God immediately starts to move through Abraham's life in a supernatural way. And this was proof that Abraham was marked. The walk of Abraham was supernatural beginnings of a holy nation. God took Abraham, a Gentile pagan, there was no Israel, anything yet, and turned him into something supernaturally in order for the salvation of the world to come through. He heard God. He walked with God. He saw cities destroyed, overcame other men in their evil ways, had a promised child be born, and even had lunch with him. Y'all ask him about that one later at fellowship. He chose him because he had a heart that was obedient and full of faith, and his life was marked by the supernatural falling all around him. Man, is anybody blessed to read and reflect on the life of Abraham? What faithful and obedience unto the Lord can produce in a man, much less a whole people that comes from it? Listen, moving on in Torah, we move to Exodus. In Exodus 13, the Lord has delivered or is delivering his people out of Egypt. And starting in verse 17, Scripture says that when Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by way of land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see the war and return to Egypt. But God led the people around by the way of wilderness toward the Red Sea. And the people of Israel went up and out of the land of Egypt equipped for battle. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones with you from here. 
They moved on from Sukkoth and encamped at Etham on the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way. And by night in a pillar of fire to give them light that they might travel by day and night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. Well, they did not depart from the people. Listen, you guys are scholars and students of the word. You know the story of the Exodus. But take note of something that you won't exactly quite plainly find written in this text right here. Not only did God provide the way out of Egypt, not only was it supernatural in nature, not only did God provide a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire to guide them and lead them and direct them, but he marked his people. When Israel is on their way out of Egypt, they need direction. They need leadership. They're walking into the wilderness with no idea where to go, just a promise from years ago that is yet to be fulfilled. Every enemy that they encountered along the way would know beyond a shadow of a doubt that this people is supernaturally marked by Yahweh. Listen, hear me. The pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire was not only to lead them. Everyone who saw them walking through on this journey for years knew that they were marked by the supernatural God above all gods. Every enemy they encountered knew it. Last week, saints, the Lord marked us. You do realize that, right? Some of you were marked and forever changed at this altar last week. Isn't that amazing? You were marked. Your life will never be the same. He's been marking us for some weeks now. The people of God are always marked by supernatural signs and wonders. You see it all throughout the word. Always because, well, we serve a supernatural God. He knows no different. This is who you are, a marked people. This is who Israel is. And though you may not see it now, the whole world will see it on the day Yeshua comes back and plants his feet on the Mount of Olives to return for a people made ready. Listen, the pillar of cloud and pillar of fire is nothing short of supernatural. And it marked the people. And it was by no means the only way his people were marked. But it's the way that he highlighted to us today to focus on. Because it was a pinnacle moment in their history where the Lord marked them. In such a way that was so undeniable, their worst, scariest enemies knew it. We're going to continue to walk through Torah. Turn with us to the book of Numbers. The first half, we're just kind of walk, going to kind of walk you through some of Numbers, end in Malachi, and then we're going to start turning this message to a place where we can interact. And by the time we're done, you will have action items to accomplish. Because the people of God are uh, people on the move. The people of God are action-filled and spirit-led. Mr. Avery, would you read us the beginning of Numbers 13? The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to you, the people of Israel. From each tribe of their fathers you shall send a man, every one a chief among them. So Moses sent them from the wilderness of Paran, according to the command of the Lord, all of them, all the men who were heads of the people of Israel. All right, so now we have the moment that everything has been leading up to. And all the supernatural signs that have happened along the way. Abraham, Gentile, now turned into the father of a holy nation. Supernaturally raising up a people in in Egypt for 400 years that didn't get assimilated. God leads them to escape Pharaoh. He leads them by a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire. And amongst everything, he did it supernaturally. Because these people were marked as something different than the rest of the world. As they were getting ready to go into the land, they had no hope, no chance. These were builders, craftsmen, not soldiers. The only way it was going to get done was if the supernatural God moved through his marked people and accomplished it. Let's see how the Israelites handle this. Let's move on to verse 27. At the beginning of 13, we're 
we're going to roll through numbers, not super fast, but we're not going to read the whole thing, well, because that's a story you can read on your own, and you're already familiar with it in some form or fashion. But number 13 starts with the, Moses saying, hey, go spy out the promised land. In Numbers 13, 27, the men after 40 days come back. And it says, and they told him, Moses, we came to the land to which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey, and this is the fruit. However, the people who dwell in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the Negeb, the Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites in the hill country. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea along the Jordan. There it is. This is a people marked by a supernatural God who has supernaturally led them the entire way, never once failed them. But they could never seem to get over the but. Listen, we came to the land which you sent us. You said that it would flow with milk and honey. You said there'd be fruit. You told us to bring some back to you. Oh, we did. And it's glorious. But. But. But there are giants there. And they scare us. And because we're giving way to fear over faith, we therefore now find ourselves not being able to put our trust in the Lord who has provided for us the entire time and in no natural way at that. Verse 30, but Caleb, praise the Lord for Caleb. But Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, no, no, let us go up at once and occupy it for we're well able to overcome it. Man, Caleb was a man who knew the mission. He knew the promise. He knew his God was bigger than any obstacle in his way. Verse 31, then the men who had gone up with him said, no, no, we're not able to go against them for they're stronger than we are. That's the plain facts. Listen, husband says your wife, I'm gonna get myself in trouble. Husband says, your wife, you're like, man, hey, we're going to do this. And the Lord's going to provide and we're going to move forward in this. And she's like, there's no way we can do that. You're crazy. It's impossible. And you tell them, hello, have you met like our God? Hello, he's supernatural. And they ponder for a second. They're like, "Mm, yeah, but it's just, no, no, you don't get it. You don't get it. That's crazy. Be honest. It happens a lot more than you want to admit it does. But I'll be even more honest and say I'm not only picking on you wives because I have the same problem in my relationship with the Lord. It's in every one of us. It's exactly what's happening in the people. Caleb, scripture says that he was a man filled with a different spirit, a spirit who had faith and believed in the supernatural workings of his God. He stands up. He went with those men to spy out the land. He stands up and he says, no, y'all are crazy. Have you met our God? We can do this. And they're like, nah, nah, we're not sold. We can't do it. Verse 32, so they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they spied out, saying the land through which we have gone to spy it out is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people that we saw in it are of great height. Listen, the very next verse in chapter 14 starts by saying that people were wailing and weeping all night. Think about that for a second. This morning we're talking about Israel. We're walking you through one of the many stories of their exodus through Egypt and how the Lord supernaturally empowers them and marks them along the way. But has this been you at times? A supernatural God who can do anything and has already proven that he can. But there's still plenty of doubt among the people. Let's pick up in verse 11 of Numbers 14. And the Lord said to Moses, How long will this people despise me? And how long will they not believe in me? In spite of all the signs that I have done among them. 
I will strike them with the pestilence and disinherit them. And I will make of you a nation greater and mightier than they. Catch it. I will disinherit my people. Do you think the Lord may just have been a little bit angry? You know, he can be angry and it's not sin. Here we see a hard stance of God lying in the sand. If the marked people want to continue in disobedience, then God will wipe them out and start over somebody else. The marked, the marked can become the unmarked. God so desperately wants a people that is faithful and dedicated to him that he can move supernaturally through, that he is willing to start over and over and over again. You guys remember the Tower of Babel? Trying to reach God and get that unity back that we once had in the garden? The Lord's like, absolutely not. You will not do it any other way than my way. Because my way is supernatural and all of your ways are natural. You don't know what I want to accomplish and how I want to do it. Picking up Numbers 14, verse 13. But Moses said to the Lord, Then the Egyptians will hear of it. For you brought up this people in your might from among them. And they will tell the inhabitants of this land, They have heard that you, O Lord, are in the midst of this people. For you, O Lord, are seen face to face. And your cloud stands over them, and you go before them. And a pillar of cloud by day, and a pillar of fire by night. Now if you will kill this people as one man, then the nations who have heard your fame will say it is because the Lord was not able to bring his people into the land that he swore to give them that he has killed them in the wilderness. And now please let the power of the Lord be great as you have promised saying the Lord is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, forgiving iniquity and transgression, but he will by no means clear the guilty visiting the inequity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation. Please pardon the iniquity of this people according to the greatness of your steadfast love, just as you have forgiven this people from Egypt until now. Thank God for men of faith who stand in the gap. Moses brings up a good point here, though. That is to us, not to God, because he knew. The marking of God works both ways. As a people are having supernatural things fall all around them, the onlookers, the ones that are in the distance seeing the marked people, they're affected by it. Yeah. The mark is not just a sign for your own self. It's a mark to everyone around you that something supernatural is falling on these people here, and I don't know what to do about it. The important lesson here to, of our message today that's being demonstrated here is the mark, the supernatural mark is not just for you. It's for everyone that's watching. Did you hear that? The mark of the supernatural is not just for you. It's for everyone else who is watching. If you notice in the scripture that we just read, in the past you might have seen Moses intercede on behalf of the people. I think Moses was a little fed up at this point too. And what does he do instead? The Lord's like, I'm going to disinherit this people. You watch me. And Moses said, well, Lord, if you did that, well, then the Egyptians will hear about it and we'll never hear the end of it. They will claim that you are a God whose arm is too short to save, that when you get frustrated with your people, you just kill them. And the Lord's like, man, you're right. You ever thought about reminding the Lord of how good he is? The Lord's angry and Moses is like, Lord, remember that you are abounding in love. But you will by no means clear the guilty. Because what we see next is evidence to it. The Lord answers Moses in verse 20. And he says, then the Lord said, I have pardoned according to your word, Moses. But truly, as I live, and as all the earth shall be filled with the glory of God, none of the men who have seen my glory and my signs that I did in Egypt and in the wilderness, and yet have still put me to the test these ten times, and have not obeyed my voice, shall see the land that I swore to give their fathers. 
and none of those who despised me shall see it. He partners two things together there. He's saying the men who have blatantly disobeyed will not see the land. Oh, and also the ones who also despised me, they won't see it either. But my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit and has followed me fully, I will bring him into the land into which he went and his descendants shall possess it. Listen, these are the consequences dished out to the people. Scripture goes on to say that the men who misled the rest of the congregation by way of giving the bad report, they immediately died of plague. The Lord sent a plague on his own people and wiped out the ones who were disobedient and wouldn't follow him. But the very next verse says, Caleb, you shall enter the land. For you have a different spirit and you have followed me fully. In you I find faith and obedience. Just like in Abram, the Lord is looking for the obedient and the faithful. He always has and he still is today. In a time where Israel as a whole has been and is still being unfaithful, remember that he is still a supernatural God who is faithful in all circumstances. It doesn't matter your mood or Israel's mood or your neighbor's mood when you wake up in the morning. He's a good God. He's steadfast and he's abounding in love and he is faithful to all of his promises every single day. Listen, Malachi is the last book of your English Bible. Let's turn to Malachi 1 and start to turn this message. We don't have a super long one for you today, but the point that we want to get to I hope will impact you. Listen, if you think about Malachi, again, like, like Avery said, it's the last book in your English Bible. And it is the prelude to a big gap in time between Malachi and Jesus' day. When we're listening to what Malachi says as Avery reads it to you, think about what comes next being a gap that is not written about in Scripture. And think about, we started in Genesis, we just read to you Numbers. There was a lot of time between Numbers and Malachi. There's also a lot of other stories that we could tell you if we had the time for it. But there's that gap there. And if the Lord is speaking what he's speaking here in Malachi, then think about how much worse it would be when Jesus steps foot in Jerusalem. Malachi 1.10 Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the doors, that you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, and I will not accept an offering from your hand. For from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. And in every place, incense will be offered to my name and a pure offering. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. But you profane it when you say, that the Lord's table is polluted, and its fruit, that is, its food, may be despised. But you say, what a weariness this is, and you, and you snort at it, said the Lord of hosts. You bring what has been taken by violence, are as lame, are sick, and this you bring as your offering. Shall I accept that from your hand, says the Lord? Listen, in Malachi, the Lord is addressing his priests. The priests of Israel are being addressed here in Malachi. We started in numbers and the Lord already wasn't happy with the people who were consistently found unfaithful. Years and generations later, we get to Malachi and the Lord speaks through Malachi and says, wow, you profane my name by doing what I commanded you to do in the beginning, the offerings, the sacrifices, but you are not working in the heart posture that I intended you to. There is no true faithfulness found in you. There is no true obedience. You do this for selfish gain and you complain about it along the way. What a weariness this is. What a weariness it is to be marked by the supernatural God. It makes me tired. Look, as if you have to lift a finger, the Lord can snap his. Now, we are called the people to move and to work. We are not ones that sit back and soak and wait on somebody else to move for us. But don't take that as the Lord cannot do it alone. The Lord can. 
The difference is he wants every one of us to participate with him in his supernatural workings. He doesn't want to do it alone. If he wanted to, he would have just, he wouldn't have, we wouldn't be here. Israel wouldn't be here. But he wanted a people where he could show his glory through so that everyone he did create would come to him and give him the glory that he deserves so that he could have fellowship with us. Listen, this is what's happening right before the gap in time that occurs before Jesus is coming. It doesn't take a scholar to realize that things have gone south pretty rapidly at this point. It also helps us to be able to see what was happening as the Lord is gearing up to send Messiah into the world. Let's shift our attention to John 3. What we are about to see as we move into Jesus' time is that there is a people in desperate need of what Jesus has to offer. Has been from the beginning, but now more than ever, there is a nation that is called and marked by God in unfaithfulness and disobedience who needs the saving grace and salvation of Jesus Christ. And he's performing supernatural signs and miracles when he arrives and he's fulfilling his role and his call in the kingdom and words getting out, it's spreading like wildfire and he's become quite the hot topic to a dead, cold, religious city. Does that sound familiar? When his works almost immediately brought concern, fear, and anger to the religious leaders of his day, there was a man who noticed something in Jesus that could not be mistaken. Read John 3. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? That which is born of the... Lost my place, sorry. (laughs) Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Scripture, I was reading it, and it's just so bittersweet. (laughs) It's sweet because after all this time, and Israel has drifted away, Nicodemus is recognizing the supernatural mark on Jesus And he's questioning him. He's approaching him about it. Nicodemus saw it. He knew it. From all his study of the word and his personal pursuit of God, he was on to it. We don't know how his story ends. That's the bitter part. But here we see Jesus laying a perfect model of how we are to walk this out for the benefit of the Jewish people. Look at verse 2. We know that you're a teacher come from God for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with them Nicodemus recognized something supernatural in Jesus it made him curious he had to go and ask what is going on with you there's something supernatural about you and I just can't put my finger on it this is how we are to be always Nicodemus recognizes Jesus, maybe not as Messiah, but he recognizes a mark on Jesus that he has only ever seen displayed in a people that is marked by his God. And this man shows up to the scene saying, hey, watch, not watch this, but you know, he's performing signs and wonders. He's performing miracles. He's ministering to the broken. He's getting baptized. 
The Spirit of God descends on him like a dove. Everyone at this point is starting to figure out that there's something different with this guy. He's not just another prophet. He's marked. And when the religious leaders of his day refused to even attempt to acknowledge it, Nicodemus knew there was something different and something deep down inside him could not ignore the fact that they were, that he was someone marked by his God. In Matthew 15, we have the story of Jesus and a Canaanite woman. Imagine Jesus walking through the streets of Jerusalem. He came to save his people, Israel. He makes it abundantly clear through all of the Gospels, I came to seek and save the lost sheep of Israel. Israel is my mission. Israel is my goal. Israel needs a Savior. I am here for my children. But what happens when his own won't receive him? Matthew 15, starting in 21. Says, and Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. Behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, Lord, O son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. A Gentile woman recognizes this man as the son of David when his own people won't. But Jesus did not answer her a word. Jesus ignored her. And his disciples came and they begged to him, Master, send her away. She's crying out after us. She's annoying. She's a distraction. She's a Gentile. She shouldn't be around you. He looked at her and said, I was only sent to the lost sheep of Israel. She came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, please help me. And he answered, Lady, I'm telling you, it is not right to take the children's bed and throw it to the dogs. And she said, Yes, Lord, you're right, I'm a dog. Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs from your master's table. There's a people hungry for what Jesus has to offer, and it's not his own. She's hungry. He knows that she's hungry. He's choosing to ignore her because he knows what must happen next if he acknowledges her. And he's wrestling, saying, I came for my people, Israel. They don't want me, but this witch who's demonic is crying out for her daughter to be healed. What do I do? He acknowledges and he tells her twice, I didn't come for you. You're a dog. It's not right to give my people's bread to you. He does not mince words. But his response to her reaction, how great is your faith? Be done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. Listen, Jesus was on a mission to seek and save the lost sheep of Israel. We just walked you through a lot of your Torah testifying to this, that the Lord's heart has always been for a nation and a people that were in desperate need of a Savior. Jesus telling her that she was not one of those lost sheep did not deter her. Has this been you? Listen, we were all dogs wallowing in our own vomit. We weren't even supposed to be here. But because there's a people who were originally marked and refused to be marked today, he said, okay, watch. I'll show you a people who were hungry for what I have to offer. And maybe one day you'll come full circle and you'll realize that it was always meant for you. Listen, what happens when Jesus steps into his domain, his home? And finds a people who aren't hungry or looking for him. Who actually at this point in his ministry have made it pretty clear they want nothing to do with him. In fact, they'd rather kill him. 
he finds ones who are hungry. And he pours out his spirit on ones who will do anything it takes to participate in his kingdom with him. Saints, stay and hang with us for a second. We're turning this message. It's moments like this in Matthew 15 that lead to Luke 19. Jesus proceeds with a triumphal entry into, again, a city filled with his own people. And they are praising his name. And you know the story. A week later, it's the complete opposite. And he knows what's coming for him. And when, he drew near the, and when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you, and they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. I was reading this yesterday, and it just wrecked me. The very beginning, when he drew near the city, the city of his people, his holy city, his heart broke because they had rejected him. And he knew that his time was coming short. Think back to Numbers 13.1. They were going into the promised land. They were going to receive the promised thing that God had brought them to after all the supernatural. And they couldn't find the faith to do it. So they wondered. This is the same story over again. Do you see it? Once again, they have been brought to the promise that was there since the beginning of Abraham. And they couldn't see it. And it broke Our God's heart breaks my heart. I want to care about what my God cries over. I want to be an example to those that my God has been fighting for for centuries. But like numbers, God does not leave them without hope. They may be the onlookers now, but it's going to be our job to faithfully follow through with Christ. Our salvation, our walk with Christ is not just for us. It is for the sake of blessed Israel. Listen, Romans 11, verses 11 through 12. Say, so I ask, did they stumble in order that they might fall? By no means. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles, so as to make Israel jealous. Now, if their trespass means riches for Gentiles or for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? Listen, church, the entirety of what we just walked through as quickly as we did, was only set up to provide an opportunity for you to realize that you are the answer. As much as I'd like to get up here and talk about Israel all day, you have a part to play in this. The Lord is not replacing or disinheriting his people. He's pulling out every tool in the rattered, ratty, tattered shed in the backyard to make sure that they find the redemption promised to them. Listen, we as Gentiles, we're like those dogs found in Matthew 15 who would not be refused. He came to his own people who did not receive him and found a whole lot of people who were not of his kind, yet hungry and in desperate need to be filled. Joel 2, 28 through 29 says, And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And on the male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit. Saints, you are living testimonies to the days of Joel being fulfilled right here, right now in Denton, Texas. The spirit has been poured out. It 
is being poured out. It will continue to be poured out on all flesh. And you, are the, you and I right now are the ones who are hungry for it. The prophecy was for them. But when we were included, it got fulfilled in us. So that we may be supernaturally empowered to see his people redeemed. What do we have that Israel does not? Think about this for a second. This should humble you. I guarantee you that Israel would not be impressed with the way you preach a message on a Sunday. If a Jew was sitting in this room, he would not be impressed. He's probably a way better scholar than you are. If you invited him to your dinner table, there's a good chance he might be appalled at what you're feeding him. Have you ever actually thought about it? We all know that what Romans 11 says. But how do we do it? I guarantee you it's not every church on every street corner in this city. It's not the dead, cold, religious, dormant Sunday Christianity. What was it that made Nicodemus pause and wonder? It wasn't that Jesus was a good teacher. It wasn't that he was compassionate more than the person on his left and his right. Nicodemus says, I know you are from God, for no one does these signs and wonders that you do if they aren't. Saints, it was the fact that he recognized the signs and the wonders and knew they were from God because it's how God's been operating amongst his people from the beginning. The supernatural lifestyle and outpouring of his spirit that we receive isn't for us. Last week, you were marked on this floor. And those of you who weren't, I do pray that you do get marked. Because this life is not about you and how you feel every day. This life is not about you. You are the answer that a nation who was predestined to be God's chosen people and still is. You are the answer for them. The supernatural lifestyle and outpouring of a spirit isn't for us. It's for a people who do not know their own God. You are serving their God. This is not a message on how you've been grafted in. We've talked, we talked for at least a whole year on you being grafted in and being adopted into the holy family and made sons and daughters of the living God. This is, with that being a foundation piece now, think about this. It was never for you. It was for a people who were in desperate need of what the Lord so graciously gave you. We're going to close with just a few more scriptures. And we're going to move to what we can actually do about it. And you'll recognize that it's familiar. It's not some new revelation. It's what's been preached from the beginning and is what Jesus came preaching to his disciples. First, we're going to make a pit stop in 1 Chronicles 29. Pick up in verse 1. Say supernaturally marked when you get there. Then King David addressed the entire assembly. My son Solomon, the one whom God has, has alone chosen, is still young and inexperienced, and the task is great. Since this structure will be a citadel to the Lord God and not for human beings, to the extent that I have been able to do so, I have provided supplies for the temple of my God, including gold for what is to be made of gold, silver for what is to be made of silver, bronze for what is to be made of bronze, iron for what is to be made of iron, wood for what is to be made of wood, and great quantities of onyx, precious stones, antimony, colored stones, all types of other semi-precious stones, and plenty of marble. In addition to everything that I have supplied for the temple, it pleases me to provide my own treasure of gold and silver. So because of my love for the temple of my God, I hereby give to the temple of my God the following 3,000 gold talents imported from Ophir, 7,000 talents of refined silver for gliding the walls of the temple and for the work to be undertaken by skilled artists, gold for what is to be made of gold and silver for what is to be made of silver. Who then will be dedicating the productivity of his own work to the Lord today? 
So, anybody here frequently traveled to Israel? That's what I thought. I don't either. Um, but that, we, it doesn't matter. Because we see here in First Chronicles 29 that David was originally, David did originally ask to build the temple, and God told him no. It's going to be your son that's going to do it. So David then, as we see in 1 Chronicles 29, did everything he could to get his son ready for the work that was going to be done, even pouring in his own talents, his own finances, his own whatever else he had to give to the Lord for the sake of this work. We may never spend some time in Israel, you, me, whoever, and some of us will get to, but we don't stop just because we may not have a direct impact on Israel. We raise sons and daughters that are going to go over there one day. And if they don't, we're going to raise them up to raise more sons and daughters that will then go over there one day so that we may see the promised work done through our children. In First Chronicles, you can go read it. It's referenced in Second Samuel 7. Nathan tells David, the temple won't be built through you. It'll be built through your son. But notice, David gives his son everything. He doesn't just complain and throw a fit because he's not the one that gets to build it. But he gives up everything he has to ensure that his son is set up in the best possible way to succeed. Listen, Matthew 10. It's where we ended last week. If 1 Chronicles 29 tells us that we set up our kids in every way possible to advance the kingdom in a place like Israel, then Matthew 10 tells us what we can do right here when we walk out of these doors. Because I guarantee you we cannot send our kids tomorrow. We can't send ourselves tomorrow, much less our little children. But you can walk out of these doors with your children and let them watch you operate in such a way that gives all to the one in front of you, right outside these doors, here. One that gives all to the one in front of you, one that lays down your life as Jesus did, one that is a supernaturally marked way of life. Not a moment, but a way of life that will empower the next generations to go. Matthew 10, five through eight. These 12 Jesus sent out instructing them, listen to this, go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but rather go to the lost sheep of Israel and proclaim as you go, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You receive without paying, give without pay. Saints, the story remains the same. In that moment, Jesus says, go to my lost people. Because Jesus knows there's a day coming that looks like this one for us. He's saying that day has not yet come. Israel needs her salvation. But when she refuses, Gentiles come into play. Not for your own sake, but for theirs. Listen, the message does not change. The instruction does not change. Last week was the same encouragement. The perspective changes though. Because last week what was on my heart over and over again as we were worshiping and as there was an altar call, as the word was being given, Lord, this is amazing, but why? Why are we encountering this? What are we supposed to do with it? You have to start by realizing it's not for you first and foremost. You're living in their promises. It's your responsibility to see Matthew 10 carried out amongst your family and your children and your friends in this city, in this nation, one stepping stone at a time. But it's ultimately for the restoration of a people that they would be marked again. They need to see you displaying the same signs and wonders that tripped up Nicodemus. You need to share the heart of Jesus that G did in Luke 19. 
on the back of a people praising his name, he wept because it wouldn't last. I believe that we have received the heart of Jesus in this moment. I believe that you will receive it if you would ask for it. One that is disturbed, turmoiled at the thoughts of a people marked and chosen by God, walking in unfaithfulness day by day, refusing to acknowledge the Messiah that stands at their door and knocks, and realizing that you are the answer for them. Listen, don't let this pass you by. The Lord's faithfulness is promised to happen. Everything we're talking about, the restoration of Israel will come to pass. You just might not be included in it. But it's what you were made for. Listen, don't let this pass you by. It's the reason you're here. It's the reason you exist. We're participating on promises that are not ours. Listen, this was a sobering reality for me. I might not get stand on my two feet in Israel with my own eyes and watch her restoration come to pass. But you can be damn sure that my kids will get that opportunity. And if they don't, their kids will get that opportunity. And it starts with us today living a Matthew 10 kind of lifestyle that does not neglect the Gentile dog outside that door that is no better than you. They need what you have just as much as Israel needs what you have. And how do you think we're going to get there if we don't do what we are called to do today? Y'all stand with us. We told you we'd end back in Psalm 132. And I'm going to read it over you and we're going to pray. Psalm 132 verse 13 says, For the Lord has chosen Zion. He has desired it for his dwelling place. This is my resting place forever. Here I will dwell, for I have desired it. I will abundantly bless her provisions and I will satisfy her poor with bread. Her priests I will clothe with salvation, and her saints will shout for joy. There I will make a horn to sprout for David. I have prepared a lamp for my anointed. His enemies I will clothe with shame, but on him his crown will shine. There is a marvelous wedding feast to come. When the bride of Israel and all of us who have been included get to look upon our groom and scripture be fulfilled when it says, and the bride and the spirit say, come together as one. This is what we look forward to. I pray today that you want to be included in that and that you will do everything necessary to lay your life down to see it fulfilled so that when the Savior comes back, you can hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. Mighty God, we thank you. Lord, we thank you for your people, Israel. We thank you, Lord, for your promises that never fail. We thank you that you are faithful to your promises from the beginning of time and you will be until the end of time. Thank you that you've never once let us walk alone. You've never once left us alone. Lord, for we are covered under your wings, Father. Lord, today we are interceding on behalf of your people. Lord, that you would start to move mightily, even if it's in one soul. That you would mark a Jewish person, Father, for your kingdom. And that it would start to spread like wildfire amongst your people, Lord. Lord, this morning we are saying that we want to be the ones who get to see your restoration of your people be done in this land. Lord, we know it starts outside these doors. Would you mark us, Lord? 
Would you mark us supernaturally, Lord, with your pillar of fire and your pillar of cloud that everyone around us may know that this city and this church would be a lighthouse on a hill. That everyone, the broken, the contrite, the remnant would come. And that in this place we would be a model for Israel herself to what a living, breathing, supernaturally filled people of God look like. Lord, we love you and we love your people. Lord, let us not fail to walk in these things and not lose sight of why we do it or what we do. Lord, mark us again. Mark us again, Lord. Lord Jesus, we love you, Lord, and we thank you for this body of believers that is here with us. Lord Jesus, we thank you and we love you, and it is in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen.